0: Thanks for checking out this episode of Business Black Belts. I really appreciate you listening and hope you get some great insights out of today's leader. Let's dive into the show. Welcome back to Business Black Belts. Joining me today is Daniel, CEO of Syncfusion. Daniel, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Hey, thanks, Gabe. Um, so uh, my name is Daniel Jevraj. Uh I work for a company called uh, Syncfusion. Syncfusion uh, is a software framework vendor, so we provide software libraries. Uh, Customers take our libraries and then use our libraries to build their own software. Uh, We got started in 2001. Uh, We've been in business uh, for a little over 22 years now, and uh, more than 400 of the Fortune 500 are now customers. Uh, We've been involved in a variety of software over the years, many different kinds of applications, uh, right from uh, small companies all the way to the Fortune 500. Um, almost 30,000 um, entities worldwide now license our software. Uh, we have a team of about 1,500 people um, operating out of the
0: US, uh, India, and Kenya. Wow, that, that, that's phenomenal. Huh? Yeah, so tell me, walk me through a little bit of your story. Have you always been with, with the company? So I'm a
1: co-founder. I got started uh, with Syncfusion right from the beginning. Um, so it was a group of friends uh, who started uh, Syncfusion. Um, I grew up in Chennai, India. um, So my background uh, is engineering. So I originally worked uh, for a couple of years as a mechanical engineer. Um, That was my original training. And then I came to school uh, in the US uh, in 1994. Uh, I was at Clemson uh, in South Carolina for two years. So when I uh, originally started uh, with my master's, I did industrial engineering. And back then, uh, computer user interfaces were getting started uh, in, in you know academic circles. Uh, uh, so in Clemson, it was part of the industrial engineering team. It was considered part of the human-machine uh, interface. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got started working on uh, UI uh, tools primarily. So that's how I got my uh, start into the world of computers. So I did a lot of the initial uh, programming uh, in C++, uh, some visual basic, uh, and mostly doing UI uh, work. And I really thought... You know that was going to be my passion i i found that and i said this is really what i like doing and then i worked uh, for a startup uh, about uh, four years or so prior to joining um uh, prior to you know co-founding syncfusion
0: yeah that, that, that's phenomenal so tell me kind of how you all went from a startup to kind of working with 400 of the 500 fortune fortune 500 companies like how what's made you all's business grow so successfully
1: so I, I think uh, so we have, uh, um, I, I think, a few distinct kind of uh, steps. I, I wish uh, we had known all of these things when we got started. So I think our initial uh, take was really to just build a sustainable business. So uh, we just a group of friends. Uh, we uh, loved uh, software development, uh, and uh, we had a little bit of experience uh, you know, working together um, and primarily doing uh, software libraries in the C++ world. So when uh, the managed, uh, you know, frameworks such as Java and .NET uh, were coming out, uh, we really thought and believed as a team that that would be the future of uh, software development. It significantly, you know, improved things, uh, made things faster. Uh, software development wise, productivity improved. Uh, so we thought, you know, this is really the future. So we uh, uh, were really focused on building uh, a small sustainable business. That was our initial goal. Uh, we were not looking to really uh, have a a very large uh, you know um, story or anything like that just a small sustainable business and then once we got there in a few years uh, i think we started thinking a little bit more uh, about how we can build uh, additional blocks on top of what we have Um, so i kind of look back and think that uh, syncfusion uh, and uh, uh, the team the leadership team and everyone along the way, I think our core DNA is always like a marathon mindset. Uh, We we never really do sprints. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So we do work uh, one step at a time and we have a longer term goal and a shorter term goal. Um, So it's kind of like the tortoise and the hare. Um, The uh, tortoise keeps plugging away. So I I think that uh, to us, I think that was a very uh, valuable business lesson. So you can do a lot of things. Um, Sometimes, uh, you know, speed is needed, uh, but often uh, very careful, uh, disciplined uh, kind of approach to things uh, is really what helped us uh, so at least in in the context of syncfusion so we went uh, one step at a time we got started with a, a set of about five uh, frameworks and then slowly we went to 10 15 uh, 20 25 and so forth and we have about 1700 different frameworks now um, over these years uh, we've accumulated all of that uh, um, you know one step at a time um, the other uh, approach that I think really helped us uh, was uh, we, we, whether by design or you know the direction we took, uh, we never raised money, so we were uh, bootstrap uh, from the beginning, um, and uh, I think that uh, gave us a, a different mindset in some ways uh, because uh, we often had to ask the question: a lot of problems can be solved in um, many different ways. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can think of a problem as okay, you know, you can have a spectrum of choices and often that spectrum one of the dials that you control uh, is how much money you're willing to spend uh, to solve that problem so if you want to uh, you know use a piece of software you can go out and acquire it and there's a bunch of options out there expensive options uh, you know moderately priced options or you can build it yourself one step at a time so i think given our uh, choice uh, to not raise money to be bootstrapped Uh, We were constrained in uh, how we could spend money. So we learned uh, to uh, kind of think about alternate ways to approach problems. So whenever a problem presented itself, uh, I think that's one of the most valuable lessons we learned along the way uh, is uh, that we can solve something in multiple ways. So one uh, example that comes to mind uh, is uh, we had this uh, marketing budget issue Um, Back in uh, 2008, uh, 2009, uh, we were being outspent uh, by competitors who had raised uh, venture capital. So we had a choice, you know, how do we really compete uh, if we are not able to market head on uh, with uh, uh, some of our competitors? So we said, okay, you know, we have to really uh, throw a lot of money uh, at this problem and uh, expand our marketing spend or we have to look at alternate ways to uh, get this done. So one alternate way we came up with was uh, instead of uh, spending more money, we said, hey, you know, there's uh, uh, our field, uh, software development field is always changing and there's always a need for information. So why don't we start publishing eBooks for free Mm -hmm. and uh, we'll make them really small um, because our audience, target audience is uh, software developers. Uh, They already have all the essentials down. We don't have to uh, keep hammering that uh, into uh, every book. So we didn't have the same uh, incentives as a commercial publisher. So our goal was to really just keep the focus on the technology. So if it was a new technology, you know, we said, okay, it's going to be 100 pages, 150 max uh, and completely free. So we started publishing those books uh, and we've been at it for more than uh, 10 years now. And we publish about two every month and uh, we are over 200 titles. And that was uh, probably the best marketing decision we ever took. Uh, And uh, we didn't spend, uh, you know, but a fraction of what uh, it would have cost to expand our um, advertising. So those kinds of decisions really helped us. It's the same thing with hiring. Mm -hmm. So you you can go out and uh, often read this uh, online. You know, how do you really find the talent? Um, to do something, to do so to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of talent uh, all around the world, basically. It may not be in the form that you want, mm-hmm. um, and you have to spend some time, um, you know, training and uh, hiring and training. And that's what we did. I mean, we simply couldn't compete uh, with uh, some of the larger, well-funded uh, initiatives out there. So we went out and uh, created our own talent pool in many ways. And a lot of those folks uh, went on to be really stars, Um, either with us or with uh, you know uh, as they moved on uh, through their career Um, and I think those are some really important lessons uh, that we uh, learned along the way I think that really contributed uh, to our success
0: yeah those sound like some great light bulb moments Would those kind of things that you learn along the way would those be things that you would kind of advise a new business owner to be doing themselves like to take the tortoise versus the hare approach would you advise them to do that as well
1: um, it depends on their goals, uh, Gabe. I think sometimes uh, you have to always think about the context in which you apply a solution. So, if your goal is to really, uh, um, you know, build something over the longer run uh, that adds a lot of value, and uh, you think that you, uh, um, you know, can take the bootstrapped approach, uh, and I'm not against raising capital at all by any means. I think that's a, a great solution for, uh, um, you know, whole variety of different uh, situations. But if you're really enticed by this idea of uh, bootstrapping and building something uh, over the is the absence of money, uh, large amounts of money will certainly slow you down. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to take that into account. If that is what you want to do, uh, then I think uh, it's really a worthwhile thing to take the marathon mindset. Uh, if you do take money, then uh, that money has to essentially serve as an accelerator. So I, I think in that context, uh, a lot of what I uh, say will probably not apply. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of value to this approach also. Um, more often than not, I read a lot of uh, uh, you know um, folks saying I have this great idea and I want to try it but I don't have money to try it. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, um, maybe uh, even if you intend to raise money at some later point, uh, you always have to ask the question you know do I really need a million dollars? do I really need 10 million dollars to start with this idea today? or in three months. Uh, So can I not prepare and uh, do something with what I have? Um, And uh, I think that's always a valuable question to ask, no matter what your end goal is. So from that perspective, yes, I mean, I think uh, it could be more universally applicable to uh, to a lot of people before you even try to raise money. Can you make some progress with what you have?
0: Sure. Yeah, and tell me a little bit about your values as a leader. Like what, um, what are kind of some of your core values as you lead this company?
1: So I, I think my uh, mindset has always been uh, that uh, uh, you know we uh, do not really uh, look at a team uh, as um, starting with a lot of expertise. Uh, so we, we look at a team as uh, you know do we have the right people in place, meaning the right people uh, who are willing to learn, uh, who are willing to make adjustments, and who have that passion, uh, that hunger basically to succeed. So I think uh, that's been our core uh, push. Uh, we uh, you know, really say that um, there's not anything that you cannot learn, especially in today's world. You have access to a lot of information. So you can learn these things. But what you cannot essentially learn um, is uh, really the willingness to go the extra mile, um, the willingness to really push yourself, uh, push your team, uh, push beyond those boundaries. Too often, I think uh, we end up in a situation where uh, we are willing to see all the storm clouds, um, but really not look beyond that. So I think that's been our uh, push. I mean, that's been the way we lead is to really say, you know, well, let's not worry too much about the storm clouds. I use this example of uh, years ago, I stopped watching, uh, you know, active news channels, basically, mm-hmm. because I thought this was really because their business model is to create uh, some amount of uncertainty, some mm-hmm. amount of panic. And I felt like uh, that was affecting uh, me as a person um, because it, it changes your outlook on uh, on life. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of opportunity out there and I think that's what we really push the team to see. It's just that there's a lot of opportunity. That's how we approach everything. Uh, we really think about the future as being bright and um, that's something that we can participate in, something that more people can participate in. and I think that's the key uh, approach that we take. Uh, we can solve problems, we can uh, plan training, we can learn. And, and we can do it. It will take a little bit more time uh, along the way. And also, I think uh, the leadership uh, uh, and, and th- throughout uh, uh, um, the history of the company, uh, we've tried to uh, stay true uh, to uh, um, the team. Um, mm-hmm. So whether it's the, uh, you know, the, the, the company, the founders, the investors um, in the company or, uh, you know, the, the team members, uh, the, the folks who are uh, doing the work day to day. Uh, We always try to be very clear and uh, forthright in what we're thinking and what we're doing and uh, how uh, we uh, see the outlook for the next month or next year or so. So I think there's a degree of honesty that we expect uh, in our operations. And I think that's also part of our culture, something that we have uh, essentially baked into the company. We take the same messaging to customers. We do not tell them what they want to hear all the time, mm-hmm. um, but they know that you know if, if we are able to take on some business, uh, we tell them that we will take it on and we will be able to deliver the kind of uh, value that they're looking for. If we are not able to, then, you know, and sometimes we find out, uh, you know, two, three months into a relationship that the customer is looking for something else and we would happily refund their money and move on. So that's the kind of, uh, you know, mindset that we have uh, cultivated within the company.
0: Yeah. And kind of kind of building off of that, share a little bit about your, your strategy for customer service. It sounds like transparency is really important. I think that's phenomenal. Speak to me a little bit more about that
1: so that's a, that's a great question Gabe, because uh, right from the beginning uh, we uh, when we got started uh, we we knew that this uh, model of uh, providing licensable uh, software frameworks um, always required uh, you know uh, very important attention to customer service because the customer is not served the moment they buy our product uh, the customer may not be served by the product for another 6 months or a year Or several years in that uh, sense, right? Because they take it and then they have to build something valuable with it and then make money uh, off of it. Mm -hmm. So, customer service was very important. In the beginning, we kind of had a basic CRM that we put together uh, that helped us to do support. um, And uh, we were able to use it as an interface for support. Over the years, we maintained that product and uh, we tweaked it to our needs. was always kind of homegrown uh, as a product. Mm-hmm. And uh, we uh, uh, kept expanding different ways in which we could touch customers. So we, when customer escalations happened, how do we get involved? Mm-hmm. How do we uh, you know, work with them? How do we give them tracking insight into what was going on? How do we give them bills more quickly? Um, mm-hmm. So it may have taken two or three weeks to get a fix. Uh, so can we get it down um, to uh, three days, to two days? How quickly can we turn things around? Um, Can we maintain specific branches for customers? So these are all domain-specific problems that we resolved uh, for customers. And customers saw a lot of value in that because they said, hey, you know, I'm not just buying this uh, product for X amount of money from uh, Syncfusion, but they're constantly committed to serving me um, after the product is uh, delivered. So I think that was an important part of what we did. Uh, And it was so important to us, uh, the customer service aspect of it was so important to us um, that we kept a very large team um, you know building the infrastructure uh, to uh, support these uh, services we had a large team for support we had a large team um, to uh, so actually provide the tooling for this so as customers uh, I, I think there was a, there is a tendency in um, our industry and in, in many others to silo different mm-hmm. customers and say hey you know if you are paying us over a certain amount of money we'll give you service within 24 hours mm-hmm. otherwise you're waiting for 36 hours 72 hours We took the opposite approach we tried to keep the slas uh, such that most people got the same amount of service you know quick Mm -hmm. service uh, so within 24 hours and internally we were not telling this to customers but internally we were pushing to get the SLA down to 12 hours uh, to six hours for most issues. And customers were seeing the difference. They were like, okay, you know, I log something. I'm not waiting 24 hours anymore. I'm mm-hmm. getting that response right away. So that was uh, also something that we constantly pushed boundaries on. Uh, having a global team certainly helps us with that. Um, the infrastructure that we built, gave, interestingly, is what became uh, Bold Desk. Uh, we released a product, help desk product called Bold Desk, um, that was for many years in the making. Uh, it's one of our most successful launches. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, a lot of this was because we were dogfooding for so long, uh, we were uh, experimenting with it and uh, uh, trying all kinds of different ways of providing uh, excellent customer
0: service. So yeah. it ends up being a plus in many ways. Yeah, it sounds like that's been one of the building blocks that would help you all grow a lot. So speak to me a little bit about you all's like, goals for the future, like you, you've grown kind of grassroots organically What's kind of the what's the goal now that you've kind of gotten into a lot of these hard to reach markets? So um,
1: I think we have uh, um, in, in the sh- uh, short term, uh, we see two distinct kind of uh, product lines for us. So one, uh, the framework products uh, that we started with uh, Syncfusion Essential Studio, the software library product is doing really well. Uh, we're growing uh, and quite well. And uh, there's a lot of uh, market presence that's expanding every day. And I, I think we're fairly well known in that market. So that's really uh, going well and we will keep pushing, uh, you know, we uh, committed as ever to uh, really pushing uh, forward in that direction. The uh, other segment uh, is really the business products. Uh, We have four products that we have put out over the last few years, uh, mostly within the last two years. So we have a business intelligence product uh, called Bold BI, uh, a reporting product uh, called Bold Reports. Uh, We have a help desk product called uh, Bold Desk and we have a digital signing product called um, Bold Sign. So in some ways, uh, these products have uh, some overlap. Uh, Three of the products, uh, the bold desk uh, product is the lone exception, um, but uh, bold sign, uh, bold BI and bold reports all have uh, some overlap uh, with uh, the uh, software library uh, structure because we uh, allow customers to aggregate these products into their own products. So Mm -hmm. in that sense, uh, they're large building blocks uh, in a way uh, for customers. So the digital signing is a good example um, so digital signing has been around uh, for quite a while. And, you know, there's many companies that compete in that space. But our niche for us is uh, we are very well known, accepted within the developer community. So we are really focused on as customers adopt uh, digital signing for more and more of their needs. Uh, they are looking for integration, uh, not just interactive use, uh, but with APIs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so baking it into their own products. Uh, so they may have a, a CRM or they may have a healthcare product. Uh, and they want digital signing to be a part of the workflow basically so they may have a manufacturing product and you know q a every uh, step of the process who's signing off on it all documented with uh, digital signatures so there uh, we have a a niche and i think that's another area that we are really pushing on expanding so enterprise software building blocks uh, enterprise software and that's a completely new uh, um, domain for us Uh, Mm -hmm. the technology itself is not so difficult for us we have done this uh, for many years now but the marketing and uh, the selling of it uh, is a very unique challenge uh, so i think we see opportunities in that direction our goal uh, is to really keep growing and uh, to keep adding value uh, in, in for the foreseeable future and then to uh, add as much um, many customers who uh, you know paid us uh, x amount of money uh, for uh, five components are now having access to 1800 1700 components plus uh, for about the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. So I think that's our goal. I mean, is to provide extraordinary value. Uh, one of our guiding um, um you know kind of uh, uh, thinking models uh, also for the future is uh, we as a company have uh, really learned and benefited from the work of uh, Clayton Christensen. Um, he wrote this book called The Innovator's Dilemma. So I think uh, his uh, approach was really that you can disrupt markets uh, and uh, you can disrupt them in different ways. The way that Syncfusion chooses to disrupt um, is by really really providing extraordinary value and by growing that value without adding costs. Mm. Uh, and I think we will expect to do that uh, for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. Adding more and more value without adding cost is something that not a lot of companies are doing. Whenever they want to add value, they want to add cost. I think that's a great differentiator. Um, real quick i would love to hear your thoughts on ai where do you think ai is going how do you there's been a lot of buzz around it lately i'd love to hear your thoughts and kind of think Fusion's thoughts on that so it's uh, it's a very interesting
1: domain and one uh, so in machine learning in different forms uh, we have benefited from and we've used uh, in, um, in in the company for uh, various uh, purposes we also shipped uh, uh, one of our deployment libraries uh, was uh, for the execution of machine library uh, machine learning um, uh, code on uh, the dotnet platform. So over years, of course, the large language models have uh, started uh, approximating uh, you know to a point where you can call it uh, some form of intelligent uh, work, right? So I think that's the uh, interesting part now. Uh, I think that's uh, progressing very fast. Um, And we see a lot of opportunities now uh, for, uh, you know, the enhanced uh, productivity of uh, uh, different kinds of software. So uh, with software uh, today, uh, if you uh, uh, look at uh, the kind of the evolution of software over the uh, last few decades. So in the beginning, it was uh, really uh, limited for uh, very specialized purposes. Uh, So you have to have a lot of knowledge to be able to use uh, software. And then, you know, the command line terminals after Mm -hmm. that, um, and higher-level languages for programming, um, higher-level graphical user interfaces that made it easy. The mobile phones that we have today, but we still are dealing with significant friction between what you want to do as a user and what the machine understands as wanting. Uh, I mean, as your uh, your needs basically. So I think this uh, push towards AI, machine learning, uh, is really opening up a lot of opportunities in that space. I think so. Where software. Um, can become more and more conversant with humans, basically. So, uh, and it 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 can really understand and do things that humans want to get done, uh, without necessarily, uh, you know, uh, someone spelling out all the distinct steps that are involved. So, I think that's a very uh, powerful, uh, you know, um, um, outcome uh, and very exciting. I think it's very hard to predict uh, in clear detail uh, what will happen. Uh, and I read an article a few days ago. Somebody said, you know, it's kind of like thinking about the steam engine um, and its impact on uh, civilization. Right? When the beginning, they when the steam engine came out, uh, they said, uh, you know, it's going to have certain consequences. You can get certain kinds of things done, maybe drawing water or this or that. But nobody foresaw the kind of impact it would have on industries as a whole, basically. Mm-hmm. So I think from that sense, uh, this kind of uh, um, um, outcome from AI slash machine learning is also a little difficult to foresee. I think there's lots of opportunities uh, and we see some opportunities with our software um, that we will take advantage of. We are already using it a lot uh, for internal purposes, proofreading, technical Mm -hmm. documentation, those kinds of things. Um, uh, some of the um, uh, more interesting use cases uh, so with digital signing you uh, this is a use case that everybody's familiar with right So when you have a document and you have uh, you know 25, 30 different fields, a human user has to precisely face those uh, place those fields uh, and it may be a date field or maybe a signature field or maybe uh, you know acceptance field or whatnot. Now, uh, with the kind of uh, uh, large language models and similar kind of uh, uh, AI that we have, that can be a click of a button Mm -hmm. and all of those fields get automatically placed. Um, and you can quickly review it as a human user, and that's, you know, maybe five minutes of your life back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so those that, that are kinds of things that we are seeing now. Uh, it's uh, We've also adopted uh, Git, GitHub's Copilot um, and uh, the Microsoft uh, Copilot product, and that's uh, something that we rolled out. We're seeing some interesting outcomes, especially with senior software developers. It, it's making them productive by 20%, 30%. Um, so that's it, phenomenal. It's, it's a very uh, thing so it's it's kind of like the early days of the Wright brothers I think so yeah who knows what yeah it came out
0: of it. I love I love the steam engine analogy I, I, what I'm interested in seeing is how how it affects customer service kind of like what you're talking about because I think it'll make a lot of customers could potentially make some customer service experiences a lot quicker and a lot more streamlined um, which is great um, yeah so where where can people find you like are are you on LinkedIn Twitter if someone wanted to connect with you where where could they connect with you at
1: I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Gabe, uh, and uh, uh, we can share that information. I'm not so much on Twitter. I'm um, one of those lurkers on Twitter. I, I don't uh, usually uh, do anything on Twitter, uh, but uh, LinkedIn, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn, so I can be reached on LinkedIn if anybody wants to connect with me or reach out. Uh, LinkedIn would be the best way
0: to do it. Sure, sure thing. And then, so just kind of like last question, um, like, what would you say is a time when you, like, when should someone quit? Versus, when is it time to persist? Like, is there ever a time in your journey where you like you should have quit on something? And you should have put your time and resources towards another thing. Like, tell me about the balance between like quitting and persisting. So that's an interesting question, uh, Gabe. I think uh,
1: one way to look at it is uh, whether you are spending, uh, you know, money um, that you, uh, if you, you know, raise capital or you've uh, borrowed money. Then I think that answer is a little uh, bit more obvious, Mm -hmm. uh, basically. So if you are not really adding value, if you raise money from investors and uh, you have to think, okay, you know, do I have enough to go back, enough confidence uh, to go back and ask for more money? Mm -hmm. Or is it time to say, hey, you know, we tried this. It hasn't worked out. uh, To be honest about it and and move on, basically. So I I think uh, that's that's a, a consideration when you have raised money or when you've borrowed money you probably have to think long and hard before asking for other uh, additional resources um, so that's that's uh, uh, one way to look at it now if you're uh, you know if you're bootstrapping if you're selling then i i think the question is can you live to fight another day mm-hmm. um, i think that's the way we see it i mean like you know if you can always make more sales and you can always uh, bring in a little bit more, more revenue it may not be the exact thing that you want to sell in the short term, Mm -hmm. maybe you have to, uh, you know, throw in more services or do this or do that uh, to make it more attractive to customers in the short term. Um, But then if it gets you closer to your long term vision, um, I I think it's worth persisting. It's worth persisting. That's where the the marathon mindset kind of comes in. But it's really really hard to do that with money that you've raised. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to be careful unless you really truly believe that, you know, that can be bridged by this extra, um, you know, push uh, towards getting it done, basically. So that that's my uh, uh, take on it.
0: Sure, yeah, yeah. The marathon mindset definitely applies there as well. Well, thank you so much for your time, uh, Daniel, for joining us today. And thanks for being on Business Black Belts. Um, that's it for today, folks. And if you're looking to connect with Daniel, um, be sure to get with him on LinkedIn. Thanks so much. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of Business Black Belts. Should you want to see more content on both the show marketing and business in general, feel free to check out my LinkedIn. Thanks.